0: Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. and our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue was shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The Lord bless the reading of his word. There's a story. Well, I guess it's not really a story. It's a letter that has kind of a story around it. There's a letter in the New Testament. It's one of the short ones. In fact, it's only one, a one-pager. Like, here it is, the whole thing in my Bible here. It's not the shortest of the letters in the Scripture, but it's one of the short ones. And uh, Paul is writing to this guy. His name is Philemon. And uh, Paul is, uh, he's going to ask Philemon for a favor. And the favor he's going to ask Philemon is the release of one of Philemon's slaves, (laughs) this guy named Onesimus. And Paul, Onesimus has actually run away, which in the culture of that time uh, was pretty serious crime. And Paul, he's come in contact with Paul, the apostle, and has become a, a brother in Christ. And so Paul is writing this letter to Philemon and sending Onesimus with the letter back to Philemon. Now think about Onesimus actually going when he's sent. And they're trusting Philemon to release Onesimus, not just from the crime, but also from the slavery. And in the midst of this, Paul says something really interesting. He he. he starts by talking about what he knows about what kind of person Philemon is. And he says this about Philemon, he says, I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love. See, Paul and Philemon were old friends, actually. I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. Through you, brother. Philemon lives in the town of Colossae, and the church actually meets in Philemon's house. He's a man of hospitality. And Paul says, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through Philemon. I thought, when I read that, I studied that <laughs> several years ago now, I thought, yeah, I know some people like that. It's just refreshing to be around them. Their, their fellowship is a joyful experience. It's restful to be with people like Philemon. And I've known some people who are the opposite of that too. I think, yeah, I want to be the sort of person like Philemon was. That's just refreshing to be with them. They produce joy out of their own joy. And this morning, we're going to look into this text in John chapter 15 that has the concept of joy at the very heart of it. So I wanted to begin with this uh, (laughs) observation of this joyful person, Philemon, and I wanted to ask, are you a joyful person? We're going to explore a little bit about what that means. This, uh, this text in the book of John, this is uh, <laughs> one of the best. It's, uh, I just want you to hear, because Jesus in this text comes to declaring the point of this whole speech. This speech, where he's been talking about uh, abiding in Him, because He's the vine, we are the branch. Abide in the vine. And in this part, we're going to look at this morning. Uh, he tells us why he's been telling us these things. It might surprise you. These things I have spoken to you, this is John 15, wow, I can't read that, 11. (laughs) These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, the objective in the mind of Christ of this whole conversation is this dispensation, this pouring out of his joy. Now, remember, this is in the context of the Last Supper. We've been told in the book of John that Jesus is troubled, and he's talking about he's going to be departing, and he's talking about the time has come for him to be glorified, and then explaining that that means for him to die. And when he talks about departing, it's distressing to the disciples. He said to them a couple of times, don't be troubled by this. And he goes through all of these things that we've discussed. And he says here, the reason I'm telling you all of this, the reason I have told you these things is for my joy to be in you and for your joy to be to be full (laughs) the Lord's intention for his disciples is the fullness of joy how does that all come together with this dying thing well let's come back to that (laughs) Let's go back to where we are starting here and we've been noticing in this whole passage about the vine and the branches that uh, uh, we're called upon to abide in the vine and so bear much fruit and bearing fruit is any we've discovered is any exhibit any exhibit of the reproductive multiplying life of the vine so Whenever a Christian reproduces the life of Christ into the world, or as Paul put it in Philippians 1, when a Christian exhibits the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, that's bearing fruit. We've also noticed last time that fruitful branches glorify God. They exhibit the God's nature in creation. And this was at the conclusion of the text, as we read it last time, it says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be, or we might say become, my disciples. Your exhibition of the life of Christ is a glory to God because The life of Christ is the life of God exhibited on the world. You're simply doing what he did. And then he goes on. So let's read this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is some deep water. There is uh, not a lot of words, but there's a lot in these, this text. The first thing I want to observe is this. Disciples of Christ have been loved by Jesus as he has been loved by the Father. The same love, the eternal love of God for the eternal Son of God. Think of it. Wait, you can't think of it The the love of God the Father for God the Son, that eternal love has been extended to us by Jesus. It's out of this world, literally. You cannot imagine the greatness of this love. It is the love that has been shared in all eternity past, Father to Son, in the eternal trinity of God. That love is the love with which Jesus has loved you. It's the love that is in their determination to redeem us before the foundation of the world. Before you came to be, before anything except God came to be, God in the triune God in the three persons of the God of God agreed together to love us with this love to redeem us it's the love that is shared in the incarnation of Christ where Paul says He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be clung to. But he emptied himself and humbled himself to become a man, one of us. And then among us humbled himself to exhibit this love. The the fact that God Shows up as one of us is the expression of this love. His sharing of our life in order to exhibit the life of God to us. This love is shared by, in the life of Christ in his atonement. God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us in his death and resurrection that reconciles us, that brings us back into fellowship with the living God. We are loved with the same love that the Father loved the Son in all eternity. We are loved in this way in his intercession for us even now. Even now. The scripture says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high where he ever lives to make intercession for us. I am in Christ before the Father and the love of the Father for the Son I receive in the intercession of Christ for my sake. And we will be loved by by Jesus with the same love the Father has for the Son when he returns, as we sang about this morning, when he returns to fulfill us in his resurrection. This is a great, mighty love that is the source of all love. And it is the love we have been loved with. And so Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so Have I loved you? And then he gives us a commandment. It's another abide commandment. Abide in my love. Reside in my love. Continue, remain, stay in my love. Stay here, stay here. Do not move from here. Set up house in the love of Christ. That's what he says. Abide in my love. Now, you might ask, how? And Jesus says, how? The next thing he says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. It seems there's more to abiding in his love than just mentally dwelling on it. Though I personally find that mentally dwelling on it is the best thing I can possibly mentally dwell on. But abiding in his love is a whole person kind of thing. It's not just in my thinking. So he says, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. And he says, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Oh, so he's telling us, you do this the same way I do. I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And this makes me think. What are these Father's commandments that he's kept? And I guess you probably won't be surprised to find out that <clears throat> right here in the book of John, there's, uh, if I can figure out how to work my Bible, there's some hints about uh, the, these commandments of the Father for the Son in chapter 10. Sorry, i got to find the right verse here. Listen to this. This is Jesus speaking. And this is at the conclusion of his talk about his being the good shepherd and his sheep and all that. He says, For this reason, the Father loves me. Wait a second. There's a reason. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Now, We've read in the previous verse that he lays down his life for the sheep. That would be us who come to faith in Christ. And he says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge, that's the same word as the word commandments in our text. This commandment I have received from my Father. And so when Jesus says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, this is what he's talking about. This charge, this charge to lay down his life for the sheep and to take it up again, that's his mandate from the Father. Hmm chapter 12, verse 49, he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, same word, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment, His mandate, His charge, is eternal life. The Father has commanded eternal life, and He delivers that commandment in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, intercession, return of Christ. He delivers that eternal life. He fulfills that commandment of the Father in His love toward us. And then he concludes, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So as he expressed the love of the Father by showing up in our lives to give his life for our sake, he says the same as I fulfill my Father's commandments and abide in his love, you fulfill my commandments and abide in my love. And then... It's very convenient, you know, because the very next thing, well, it's not the very next thing, but right in this text, he says what his commandment is. In fact, he's already said it, right? You remember a new commandment I give to you? A new commandment I give to you? Here it is again in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. I think he's setting the bar kind of high. Because the love he has loved us with is the same as the Father has loved him. And so he's saying I've loved you as the Father has loved me. You love one another as I have loved you. We are in over our heads with this kind of love. Love one another as I have loved you. As Jesus has exhibited the life of the Father in his love for us, we are to exhibit his life in our love for each other. That's bearing fruit, in case you need the reminder. That's bearing fruit, and it's the glory of God in us. And it's becoming his disciples. Seems fairly obvious, right? We, His disciples live the way he lived. How did he live? He exhibits God's love. Out of his fellowship with God, he brings the fe- his fellowship with God into his fellowship with us. And we take that and bring it into each other's lives and we become, like Philemon, that refreshing person that joyful person who is a joy to be with. You might have noticed also that this is a repetition of what we talked about a few weeks ago, the upward spiral. And this is what I'm talking about when I say there's There's more to abiding in his love than just mentally dwelling on it. You see, I actually get to know the love of Christ when I try to show the love of Christ. Let me say that again. I get to know the love of Christ in a certain way when I try to show the love of Christ. Now, we've got to back up to the beginning and remember that the source of this is God, not me. But when I know the love of God and I share it, when I share it, I understand it better. Because I now fellowship with Christ in a new way. This is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 3, say, when he says, I want to share in the sufferings of Christ in order to know Christ. Knowing Christ is the goal, the prize, everything. And I want to understand Christ by suffering in the way he suffered. And when we talk about loving in the way he loved, right in this context, he tells you what that's about. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life. For his friend. And we're told, we've been told already in this chapter, well, in chapter 14, sorry, in this very talk, when Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, (laughs) you're the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. Just like he said about himself, this is the reason the Father loves me. Wait a second, the Father's loved him in all eternity. That's right. And then there's a reason why. Even Jesus lived in the upward spiral of love between himself and God. He pours out the love of God, and God is responsive to that. It's, you can't make entire rational sense out of it. <clears throat> I guess that's probably the nature of love in some respect. But in any case, he says the same thing to you. As you try to love, you understand love. (laughs) And God responds to that. It's like this. I will come to know and experience and enjoy God's love more and more as I attempt to share it. And as I enjoy it more and experience it more, I get better and better at sharing it. That's the same upward spiral. I bear much fruit. I become the kind of man somebody could say the souls of the saints have been refreshed by you. I become generous I have a source, and so I don't need to worry about what I get from you or anyone else. I have a source, and I can lay down my life for my friends. That's how Jesus loved his friends, and he says, Love one another as I've loved you. I can let go of my life for the benefit of someone else. I belong to God in order to be good for you. That is the greatest thing I can possibly lay hold of. But it is very, very hard to let go of yourself. hard to let go of yourself. In our sinful nature, we have become bound up in ourselves. And the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ is prying me open so that I can love you as I've been loved by him. And so he says to us, abide in my love, abide in my love, abide in my love. Try it (laughs) and abide in it. Try it and abide in it. And you know, I have this tendency to think, oh, well, I've got to go all the way there or I've not gone there at all. I think, well, that's faulty. That's probably the trick of our enemy to say, if you're not as loving as Jesus right this second, right now, then obviously you're not abiding in Jesus. Well, what would be the solution to that problem? Abide in Jesus, trust in Jesus, look to Jesus. And when you do, try it. (laughs) Try something small. Try something small where you let go of yourself for the benefit of someone else. Let go of yourself for the benefit of someone else in some little way. I don't know. Hold the door open for somebody. For the glory of God in Christ, to express the love of Christ, abiding in the love of Christ. Do a nice thing for somebody. Now, remember, (laughs) Jesus says, There's a reason I'm telling you these things, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Scripture says about Jesus' sacrifice, remember, death on the cross. That Jesus endured the cross for joy. Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus was happy To endure the cross. That didn't make the cross painless. But for joy, for joy. What does that tell you about the nature of our God? He's for joy. (laughs) He's for joy. Now, here's a problem us Christians have we often look like we're kind of unhappy with everyone. We've become demanding people. And, you know, it makes a certain sense because we become familiar with the righteous standards of God and, you know, they are what they are and nobody's meeting them, so we all have reason to be dissatisfied with everyone around us. But what God is looking to do in your life is to make you a source a fountain of his love and grace, not a drain. You don't need to be demanding because you have the rich source of the love of God. You don't need to be demanding. You don't need to get it from anywhere else. It's nice if you do, but you don't need it. And so you can be a well from which other people can draw this love. Nothing is more joyful than that. Nothing. You see, all other sources of joy fall short. <laughs> This is a really trivial example, but just the other day I was watching some guy do stand-up comedy on Netflix. And there's a moment of joy when somebody says something funny just for the sake of being funny. There's no lasting joy there. And what the world is doing is just... trying to have enough stand-up comedians around so that they can pretend to be joyful. In the body of Christ, we have the very source of the thing itself, and we are attached to that source, and it is there if we abide in it. (laughs) So our joy can be filled up it's literally the word like if you took this cup this is this is what it means right here you ready i'm going to make a mess i'm filling this cup that's what it means your joy might be full there's a niagara falls of joy pounding you on the head you can get all you can take and more if you just abide in his love just abide in his love. He's telling us these things for a reason. I gotta put this down before I make a bigger sense. He wants us to be full of joy. Not the sort of stupid empty joy we get in the circumstances of the world, you know, like you win the lottery or something. But the real thing that exhibits itself in real sacrificial love toward other people. That's what we're looking for. There's no better joy than that, no deeper, fuller joy than that. That's what Jesus knew. That's why he was here in the first place. That's why he went to the cross. And that's why every day, every moment, he is praying his heart out for you, before the Father. And that is why he is delivered to the body of Christ, the Spirit of God himself, to, as the scripture says, pour out his love in our hearts by the indwelling of the Spirit. Christians, let us abide in his love and be full of joy. Father, we give you thanks. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us. Help us to get a stronger scent. of Your grace, your mercy, your love. Help us to abide in your love. Help us to exhibit your love. Make us a joyful church. Make us the sort of church that people could just come into and rest and relax and be themselves and experience your grace. We give you thanks for this possibility and we pray for it to become more and more real. In Jesus' name, by his spirit we pray. Amen.